Welcome to the People of the Way podcast. We're starting a conversation for those who care for children and who desire to see them grow up in every way into Jesus Christ and into his way of life. Our debut episode was produced in December, and we're excited to begin a new conversation today as we enter a new decade this January 2020. You can find out more about us by visiting peopleoftheway.org or by going to the People of the Way Facebook group with its current membership of 148 people. My name is Sarah Cowan Johnson. I'm an uh, Evangelical Covenant Executive Pastor at Sanctuary Church in Providence, Rhode Island. We're a family of three congregations seeking the renewal of our neighborhoods, our city, and the world. And I'm Len, Father Len Cowan, who with my wife Hallie have co-founded the Abbey of the Way, a home and ministry of prayer and spiritual formation for leadership development. If you want to find out more about it, visit abbeyoftheway.us. And I'm also the father of Sarah, my co-host. And it's really wonderful, this partnership that we have together, because we really cover three generations, mine, Sarah's, and her children, my grandchildren, and if you will, a fourth generation, (laughs) their children. We're thinking out that far. And um, it's just been wonderful uh, in, in talking about how Sarah um, has been raised by Hallie and me, along with her sister Betsy, and how Sarah and her husband Greg are seeking to raise up children who walk in the way of Jesus. So over the course of this year, we'll be talking about 12 virtues. These are attributes of God, which he desires to implant in us and in our children. And these virtues are activated in us by what we call a way of life. And this involves the practice of specific spiritual disciplines. Now, it's important to remember that spiritual practices themselves don't produce these virtues in us, but they do put us and our kids in a place where the Holy Spirit gets access to us to shape and transform us to become more and more like Jesus. And so while these 12 virtues that we've chosen don't encompass everything about God or our way of life in him, we do believe that they form the basis for a way of life that looks very much like the way of Jesus. And so we'll be looking at one of these virtues each month over the course of this year. So what we're talking about here, obviously, is ways of intentionally parenting and discipling our children, as well as ways in which we become better disciples ourselves, since most of what our children learn about Jesus and about following him are things that are caught by our way of life, explained by what we teach with our words. Now, also, it's important to realize each child uh, or each adult is unique and will respond differently to what we intend to do to help them to walk in the way of Jesus. That's especially true when we think of the observable stages of faith development in children, from what is called by one writer the experiential faith centered around the child himself, that's the early childhood, and that's best pursued with action, to the affiliative stage, which has to do with faith of the heart, felt in the group, either in the family or one's peers, to the searching faith of adolescence in which questions and the critical perspectives of the mind are to be encouraged rather than feared, and then by God's grace ending up with what's called an owned faith of the heart, soul, mind, and strength in an integrated way of life. For this first month of the year and of the decade, we'll look at the virtue of forgiveness. Now, obviously, this is a huge subject, particularly in the life of children, adults, and families. So in the podcast, we're only going to be scratching the surface of this subject, and we will trust the Facebook group to deepen the conversation and exploration. So 
After you've listened to this, we'd love to have you participate in a virtual discussion with us online. Also, it's really important to note, we wanted to say this up front, that the topic of forgiveness, of our sin, of um, discipline with children, this is difficult for anyone, but I think it's perhaps an especially challenging area as parents when we think about our own um, parenting and how well we're doing as parents. This can be an area of extreme insecurity and self-doubt and um yeah, these things are really challenging. Everything that goes along with this topic uh, is sort of a button that can be pushed for us. We don't often get it right. Sometimes we feel terrible about our decisions and our parenting, or we feel terrible about our children and their behavior. And so this is a place of, yeah, insecurity, of fear, anxiety, and sometimes where the enemy loves to come in and kind of meddle with us. Just to say a, a, a story that I told Sarah earlier when I was a pastor, a young pastor, went to visit a family and they had prepped everything really well and everybody was on their best behavior until at one point uh, their little boy came in, put his hands on his hips, looked me square in the eye and said, piss off, and then ran <laughs> out and everybody just felt terrible. And they, for weeks afterwards, they were apologizing uh, for their bad parenting. <laughs> So it's just really important to say, we're not going to get this right. Dad didn't get it right. I don't get it right. You won't get it right. We, as parents, as we engage this topic of discipline and forgiveness and our children's behavior, we need God's grace and forgiveness as parents as well. Forgiveness is at the very heart of God and the heart of our faith. And so this virtue is also something that we desire to see at the heart of the lives of those who know him and seek to follow him. It's clear from Genesis 3 on throughout the history of humanity that humanity is in continual need of forgiveness, first from God and then from each other. Jesus gives us a beautiful and poignant example of forgiveness when dying on the cross, he prayed for his enemies, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And therefore, Paul teaches us in Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So it's probably fair to say that most of our problems in life, all the problems that we deal with, ultimately stem from our personal and corporate entanglement with sin, and particularly when that sin has never been properly forgiven. So what does it mean to raise children who embody the forgiveness, both received and given, which is at the heart of who God is, the God of love? I think it'd be good if we define our terms. So forgiveness, what we're talking about today, is when you let go of the desire for revenge, when you resolve to absorb the injury or evil done to you by others, and to not carry the burden of resentment by giving that burden, that injury, over to Jesus, the pain that goes along with it. That frees you to be able to heal from the wounds that have been done to you, and it frees you and the others involved from further injury and perhaps Um, much better than that. I once heard a definition of forgiveness that I thought was really powerful. Someone described it as releasing a prisoner and then discovering that that prisoner was you. Yeah, yeah. The 18th chapter of Matthew is worth reading in this regard, and it shows that forgiveness is hard. It is not easy. And so Peter's complaining, Lord, how many times must I forgive? Seven times. And Jesus responds with one of those wonderful Bible numbers, (laughs) 70 times seven. In other words, keep forgiving over and over. And I think that's not forgiving a new offense, but forgiving the same offense Mm -hmm. as you remember it and remember it and remember it and remember it. So forgiving needs to be a way of life with us. 
It's not something occasional. It's something we need to learn how to practice. And it's only possible through him. Why? Because it's a decision of our will that has to be strengthened by the will of the Holy Spirit and hopefully by the wills of others who are involved with us. Now, forgiveness is not the same as pardon. It's really important. Pardon is when when someone who has done wrong is let off of the consequences of their actions. And sometimes we think that that's what forgiveness is, that I just need to let them off and keep letting them off and letting them off. No, that's not the case. That's pardon. And God pardons us all the time, and we pardon one another in various offenses. Peter says in 1 Peter 4.8, love covers a multitude of sins, but there are some things which have been done to us or which we may have done to others which should not be pardoned, but rather need to be punished or rectified. But there are many conflicts which happen in the family which need to be pardoned, sometimes without saying. So forgiveness is not pardon. It's also not the same as trying to find an excuse. Being excused is normally when something wrong happens by accident or mistake, as in the proverbial case of the spilled milk, or when the child honestly doesn't know the rules to be broken. Mistakes are not in and of themselves sin. There's a difference. Sin has more to do with intention or transgression than it has to do with being in error. Children, particularly not being capable of physical or social dexterity, often make mistakes for which we should find ample reason to excuse them while still encouraging them in some situations to make an apology. And forgiving also doesn't mean making friends being reconciled. This is important for me. Reconciliation is when two or more parties who've been injured are restored to friendship and love, and that's a beautiful thing. And my kind of personality always wants that to happen, Mm -hmm. and sometimes it's not going to happen. But forgiveness, on the other hand, is something that needs to happen. Now, reconciliation is truly a miracle, but it requires the assent of both parties at a time when both are ready for a new start. It requires both repentance on the part of the offender and forgiveness from the offended. And sometimes that's never possible, as when one side feels threatened or the other side refuses to take responsibility for past actions. Now, that can be very hard for parents who always want their children to get along. We need to get along, boys, you know. And it, it, that, uh, you know, that can be great, but the idea of being this sweet and loving family in great relationship with each other all the time is just a mirage. And sometimes reconciliation is not going to be possible, at least for a season, between children or children and parents. By the grace of God, reconciliation is possible, but can it never be required in the same way that forgiveness is required by God. That's why the Bible says, forgive and you will be forgiven. But it also says, if it's possible, so far as it depends on you, live at peace, be reconciled with everyone. That's from Romans 12. Forgiveness, however, through Christ is always possible through him and is indeed required as we pray in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our sins just as we forgive those who sin against us. Yeah, that's really helpful. So I just want to repeat those. We're talking about forgiveness, which is not the same as pardon or being excused or reconciliation. And I think those distinctions are incredibly helpful. I know just in my own journey of pastoring um, and also just being a friend to people who find themselves in conflict, those 
questions trip us up all the time. Yeah. What is forgiveness and how is it different? And I think these definitions actually really clarify what forgiveness is and isn't. And as I, we also said, forgiveness is not the same as dealing with a mistake. Yeah. It's dealing Being with excused. honest yep. kind of assessment. This is sin. Yep. So as we're talking about forgiveness, let's consider forgiveness and what that looks like for the small child, someone at the experiential stage of faith. So this is typically uh, from birth to age six-ish. These are approximate yeah. stages. Um, but in this stage, they're focused primarily on themselves and on kind of the actions of faith. They are learning about God by doing and by following the example of their parents. Um, so in this stage, we're really just laying the groundwork and the rhythms of apology and forgiveness, of fractured and restored relationships, and the undergirding reality of unconditional love. And so while these concepts won't be fully understood or meaningful in their content so much as in their action, children in this stage are learning behaviors and patterns that will be useful later on in life. So for example, just a couple of thoughts for this stage. First, I can't state strongly enough the importance of the assurance of forgiveness and love after a child has been disciplined. So in our family, we use the timeout strategy for discipline, um, and we have a little timeout liturgy, so to speak. We have said the exact same phrase ever since we began using timeouts with our little, little kids. We ask the child, after the timeout is finished, why did you get this timeout? and they have to state why they got the timeout. Essentially, we're asking them to confess. <laughs> mm -hmm. And then we say, what do you say to me? Or to the injured party, maybe it's their brother. And they have to say, I'm sorry. And that is the apology. And then our response is always the same. I love you and I forgive you. I love you and I forgive you. I love you and I forgive you. We say that in that exact way. Those two things go hand in hand. And I have noticed that our kids, when children that they're playing with apologize to them they repeat that phrase back to them <laughs> i love you and i forgive you it's the cutest thing but i just i noticed that this has become so subconsciously embedded in their idea of what forgiveness is mm. i love you and i forgive you and that began at age you know one two three when we began this little timeout liturgy second thought <clears throat> for this stage is I think it's really important that parents learn to apologize and ask their children for, for forgiveness when they're wrong. It's so easy with our kids to just say, I'm sorry, you know, kind of as an afterthought, oh, I'm sorry, and move on. But actually, when we are apologizing for wrongs that we have done to our kids, because we will do that, it's important to ask the child to say back to us, I love you and I forgive you. It's very empowering. It's also teaching them that everyone is a sinner, <laughs> that it's not just big people who are good and little people who are bad, but that we all are in need of the grace mm, of Jesus. So that would be for the experiential stage. When it comes to forgiveness for the older child, slightly older at the affiliative stage of faith, and again, this is roughly from about age seven through the preteen years, the primary focus for forgiveness in this stage, I believe, has to do with restoring relationships that are broken by sin, because these children are primarily learning about and experiencing God in the context of their relationships, their family, their peer group. And so they're learning about God by belonging to a community of faith. And so forgiveness here is given and received primarily to maintain harmony and place, maintain their place in the family group. And so this is felt in the heart rather than just going through the motions of these liturgies. Matthew 18, 15 can be helpful at this stage when dealing with, as a parent, being asked to be judge and jury 
between warring children. And uh, now this never happened in my home with my daughters, and I'm sure that never happens in Sarah's home with her sons. Uh, we're just kidding, just kidding. But if you read Matthew 18, 15 and following, it says, if your brother or sister sins against you, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. And how many times have your children come to you immediately because of an injury done by the other sibling? So that point of stressing, you need to try to work it out yourselves at this stage of faith development. Then the scripture goes on, then take one or two others along so that every matter may be established. Again, really important that the parent, if, if he or she is being asked to go along, is not there to decide the case for or against the child who has been injured, but so that every matter may be established. Again, the idea is that they'll try to work it out themselves, in this case, with your assistance. Uh, then it's telling it to the church, which in this context would probably be, okay, wait until your father gets home. But no, no, not like that. But I'm just saying the family system will now need to work out what's happened. And then the last part, which is really significant, Jesus says, treat them as a pagan or a tax collector. And, you know, that sort of uh, conjures up images of banishment and so on. But you think about how Jesus dealt with uh, pagans and tax collectors. Well, he dealt with them with extra grace. And so obviously that needs to cover this whole subject of this kind of discipline. And so as much as possible as our children are getting older, my kids are now age six and almost 10, um, we try to have them work out their disagreements among themselves first. When they come to us, we have them first go back and speak to one another. And we intervene to help them through these liturgies only when they're really stuck. And I think that's really important. Also, in um, this affiliative stage, um, this is a time when shame can really begin to enter in. When children begin not only to understand the idea of doing bad things, but rather the idea of being a bad person, which is not a Christian idea, but it is something that, that we pick up. Um, and so we need to be careful to avoid shaming our children um, and to correct them when they shame themselves. So one of my children is highly prone to shame and will say terrible things about himself when he does something wrong. So he says things like, oh, I'm such a bad boy. I shouldn't be part of this family. I just want to run away. I mean, he just, he, he has a really hard time when he does something wrong. And so one of the things I've become quick to say to him is, please don't talk about my son that way. I love him and I forgave him and you should do that too. And so that usually snaps him into a realization that he's at least worthy of self-love and self-forgiveness, even though that is harder for him sometimes to practice. But it's important that we know that shame is never a tactic used by God. God originally created human beings to be naked and unashamed. When Adam and Eve sinned in Genesis 3, their eyes were opened in the realization that they were naked, and therefore we presume ashamed. And the first thing they did was hide from God and create coverings for themselves. And so we can see the concept of shame at work in the fact that their instinct was to hide not only their sinful actions from God by, for example, lying to God's face, but they also hid their very bodies from God and from one another. And so we can see a twisting of the truth there, not that you made a mistake and did something bad, you sinned, but that you are a mistake and you are bad. Even your very body mm. is shameful. And so when God questioned them, he followed them and looked for them and questioned them. He asked them, who told you that you were naked? 
and we presume, who told you to be ashamed? This was not his desire for them. Shaming isn't God's tactic. God only uncovers our sins so that we can be forgiven and set free. So it's really important that once forgiveness is given to our children, the offense is forgotten. Not in the sense that there aren't consequences when there need to be consequences, but in the sense that we do not keep a record of wrongs with our children. And this is just good advice for any loving relationship. We don't remind our kids of their sin or hold it over their heads. We don't you always them or you never them. We don't turn sinful actions into labels against our kids that produce shame. We release them as we have been released by God. Again, given the the concept that what children learn about these things, they primarily learn from us, this issue of, you know, kind of shaming is true in adult relationships. Mm -hmm. It often shows up in relationships between partners or spouses and you always and you never. It's just stuff that we just need to root out of us. Mm -hmm. And if shaming has been part of our experience of being parented, uh, we need to get some help to kind of get that stuff out of us because that really is not, it's not really of God. That's not God's plan that we be shamed. God allows us to feel guilty so that we can be coming to him, know that we are out of line and can be set free and put back on on the path of life. So these are really, really important things with our children. And and just the reality, as Sarah uh, acknowledged, and we had the same experience with her and her sister, that these are two very different people. They mm-hmm. responded very differently to correction and discipline. One was way more sensitive. One was way more resistant. We have to just kind of, you know, kind of we'll nuance let you it. Guess we'll let you figure out who which. that might be. So. <laughs> Anyway, yeah, forgiveness with adolescence, which uh, Sarah has yet to deal with, but we dealt with, that is a very difficult situation since questioning faith by its very nature raises deep questions about the nature of sin. Is that sin? Is that not Mm. sin? And so forth. And about the need for forgiveness in any way from God or from anybody else. Now, it will, of course, be appropriate to continue to draw upon the practices of the previous stages of faith. So that little kind of liturgy that you guys go through, the little forgiveness and apology liturgy, that can continue to be used. I love you and I forgive you. Those actions can continue to be used, even if the child is not sure that they still believe in that stuff. Mm. Nonetheless, it can be helpful for the integrity of the child and of the family. It's also important to reassure the child of her being forgiven no matter what has happened even if pardon or reconciliation with an adolescent at times may not be possible, and to seek the restoration of a relationship through apology or some restitution, at least requesting that that be done. Now, for the sensitive adolescent who may become deeply aware of their sins, it may be true that the right of reconciliation or some opportunity for private confession of their sin with a priest, a pastor, or a trusted adult may prove particularly helpful so that they can actually hear somebody else outside of their system, assure them of forgiveness, and banish with God's help any kind of shame. Yeah, that's something that I have um, shared a lot with adults, actually. So a lot of us who don't practice regular confession, either in our personal spiritual practices or corporately, you know, again, the sacramental stream is great with this, um, this practice, but sometimes we walk around with an intense awareness of our sin and we have done nothing about it. Um, and so the discipline of confession, the practice of confession, whether it's reading through a confessional prayer or as dad was just saying, confessing our sins to one another is that place where we give our burden to the Lord and receive forgiveness. It's transactional in that sense. And 
So that practice is really important um, because otherwise we're just walking around with awareness. Yeah. Um, another thing that I wanted to just mention with the, um, the questioning stage is that in this stage, the adolescent may need to wrestle with or question the concept of forgiveness in situations where reconciliation is not possible. So for example, where pardon should not be extended and boundaries need to be kept, what does forgiveness look like mm, yeah. then? Um, or where the offending party is not willing to apologize. Teenagers can be brutal to one another, as we all know. And so allowing your teen to wrestle with betrayal, with deep feelings of hurt and regret, and with the difficulty of God's mandate to forgive. I think it's unhelpful to say, well, you have to forgive them, yeah. right? I think we need to allow them grace to wrestle with this the way we wrestle with this and to not force them to move on too quickly. I think um, having grace for the difficulty of these situations and wrestling with, yeah, God's call to forgive in situations that are very, very painful. Yeah. Now, you know, as we, as we said before, uh, and we'll say again, uh, the, the way in which uh, the adults in a child's life will manifest or not manifest forgiveness is of paramount importance if they don't see illustrations of this. And particularly, as we just said, illustrations of forgiving when that's hard and wrestling with injury that has been done to us adult, as adults, injury that's been done between partners, between uh, spouses, mom and dad. Um, if there's a, a culture of forgiveness where that is regularly practiced and worked on uh, with the grace of God, then that child is more likely to be able to walk into that, seeing its value, uh, seeing uh, the grace and the love and the mercy that it brings back into the life of the family. Yeah. Um, it's very important uh, for those uh, children who are in that kind of skeptical stage of faith to be able to see genuine examples of forgiveness played out uh, in front of their very eyes. Mm -hmm. Now, when we get to the, uh, the, the final, at least in this rendering, stage of faith, owned faith, which has its own stages, as we suggest in the last podcast, um, certainly an own faith life is marked by forgiveness given and received. Uh, it's a life marked by regular self-examination, as when the psalmist says in Psalm 139, Search me, God, know my heart, test me, know my anxious thoughts, see if there's any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Now, you know, if you want to read a, a wonderful story in the scripture about uh, the issues of forgiveness and reconciliation and forgiveness, check out the, the story of what I call the prodigal sons, plural. Both of them are kind of over the top in their issues. And, uh, and the prodigal father, who's over the top in terms of his mercy. But just look at both brothers and how they behave and how they operate. And there's a lot to learn in that. It's a passage. great story it to great story. Um, read with your children and to discuss with your children. Ask good basic Bible study questions with them. Have them put themselves in the story. Yeah. So a parenting, again, as we said right at the beginning, is a role in which we can be besieged by guilt and shame and self-doubt, even self-hatred. So we want to close by inviting us all to draw near to the Lord, first in a time of silence, to bring before him anything in our role as parents for which we feel some mm. of those emotions. So let's come before the God of mercy and forgiveness in silence. And now I'm going to pray out for us a prayer of confession from the Anglican Book of Common Prayer. So you can just allow this to be read over you. You can pray along with me. If you know the prayer, um, you can 
Say it with me. Almighty and most merciful Father, we have erred and strayed from your ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against your holy laws. We have left undone those things which we ought to have done, and we have done those things which we ought not to have done. And apart from your grace, there is no health in us. O Lord, have mercy upon us. Spare all those who confess their faults. Restore all those who are penitent according to your promises declared to all people in Christ Jesus our Lord. And grant, O merciful Father, for his sake, that we may now live a godly, righteous, and sober life to the glory of your holy name. Amen. And now please hear deeply within these words of absolution. Almighty God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, desires not the death of sinners, but that they may turn from their wickedness and live. He pardons and absolves all who truly repent and genuinely believe his holy gospel. For this reason, we beseech him to grant us true repentance and his Holy Spirit, that our present deeds may please him, and that our lives may be pure and holy, and that the last we may come to his eternal joy through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. We want to invite you um, to continue this conversation about forgiveness in our Facebook group. Um, you can visit thepeopleoftheway.org or find us on Facebook. Just search for People of the Way and ask to join the group. But we would love to hear your ideas of how you help your kids to practice forgiveness, how you extend forgiveness to your children, questions that you have, ideas that you have, other liturgies that you use. And I you know, use that word in quotes, but uh, for apologies, we'd just love to hear any ideas that you have to share. Okay, so we'll see you, we hope, next month, February 2020, when we'll look at the virtue of acceptance, which we think of as the flip side of the forgiveness coin on the People of the Way podcast. <laughs>